This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Welcome to Max and Murphy. What do the Democratic presidential candidates have to say to New Yorkers? Welcome to a special edition of Max and Murphy. This is Ben Max of Gotham Gazette and the Max and Max and Murphy. We had a special live event show on Wednesday, February 26th, and we brought together six supporters of the six major Democratic presidential candidates. We had a supporter of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, Michael Bloomberg, Pete Buttigieg, and Joe Biden. Join us at the Commons Cafe in Brooklyn, just below the WBAI studio, for a panel discussion about why those supporters support those Democratic presidential candidates, the state of the race, how the candidates really are differentiated from themselves, and a whole lot more. It was a really great discussion and coming up on this episode here that you're listening to, you'll hear just about all of it. We did have a little bit of uh, a technical issue at the event, so there are a couple little chunks early on that are missing, but then it all got uh, straightened out and you hear a lot of really good thoughts from those six supporters who will be introduced in just a moment. Um, We had a really great, smart, passionate panel of folks supporting each of those six major Democratic candidates. And I just want to make clear, these are supporters of the candidates. Some of them are official surrogates, some not, so we're really just referring referring to them as supporters. So nothing really that was said should be interpreted as official campaign rhetoric, much more attributable to the individual person speaking, just to be clear. We really enjoyed the discussion. It happened the day after the South Carolina debate and just leading up to the South Carolina primary, which is then closely followed by a lot of voting happening on Super Tuesday and New York's primary, which comes up in April with a period of early voting and then the actual presidential primary day, April 28th. We do not know, of course, at this point who will be competing at that juncture in the Democratic primary, but we had a great discussion for New Yorkers to really start thinking about who they might want to vote for when Democrats get to head to the polls on April 28th and in the early voting period preceding it. And just to be clear, uh, both Jarrett Murphy and myself moderated the panel with these six supporters of the presidential candidates. As I said, a little bit of the beginning got cut off. But the first question that we posed to the six folks that we had join us uh, really was very simple. Why are they supporting the presidential candidate they are supporting and that they were there speaking in support of. And so the first person you're going to hear from is Ana Maria Archila, who is the co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy. And she was speaking uh, in her support of Senator Bernie Sanders, and she kicked off our event. Elections of our lifetime. And I know that this is said at every election, and I know that everyone knows exactly that this is the election of our lifetime. because we are living in a moment of incredible darkness. Um, We have his campaign and every single day of his administration, uh, a political and policy program that is about the exclusion of people who have been left at the margins of our society and our democracy for as long as this country has existed. Uh, President Trump has advanced the most anti-immigrant, racist policies that we have seen. He has worked hard to roll back decades of progress that this country has made on the rights of women, um, the rights of LGBTQ families, civil rights, the rights of workers. So we are facing a really 
um, essential threat. Um, but if we act only from fear, if we only dare to imagine the bare minimum of what we deserve, we will not only fail to meet uh, the opportunity that we have, but we will fail to actually build the level of energy uh, that is necessary to defeat Donald Trump, because make no mistake, Donald Trump is... Close your eyes. And imagine that we live in a country where no one has to choose between paying for healthcare or paying for rent. Imagine that we live in a country where every single young person can go to college without ending up with massive debt. Imagine that we live in a country that does not spend $80 billion to incarcerate two million people. Imagine that we live in a country where every worker gets paid a decent wage and has the right to organize and the freedom to spend time with their families. Imagine that we live in a country that has no private prisons and detention centers and where every immigrant family has the certainty that they can stay together. That is the country that is possible. And what Bernie Sanders is telling us is that this country can be built by all of us if we dare to imagine that that is possible and if we dare to fight for one another. What Bernie Sanders is saying, it is not, it's not about me, it's about us. It's about making sure that our democracy is used as the mechanism to take care of one another. And that is why I am here so proud to support Bernie Sanders. And after having spent many days talking to voters in New Hampshire, mostly white working class people, and many days talking to voters in Nevada, mostly working class Latinx people, I can tell you that people across the country feel inspired by this invitation to build the country of our dreams. Hi, this is Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, co-host of Max and Murphy. You're listening to a recording of our live audience event of February 26th, featuring supporters of the six major Democratic candidates for president. Because of a technical glitch, a very small portion of the opening statement offered by Antonio Reynoso, a Brooklyn councilman supporting Senator Elizabeth Warren, was not recorded. So we'll pick up where that statement begins now and play the rest of the show as it occurred live. After Reynoso, and also answering Ben's first question about why they support the candidate they're supporting, you'll hear from Pete for America supporter and volunteer Tristan Thomas Allen, Aaron Mendelson, who is Amy for America's authorized representative in New York State, supporting Senator Amy Klobuchar, Chris Coffey, who is head of the New York Practice for Tusk Ventures and a supporter of Mike Bloomberg, and supporting Joe Biden, Henry Munoz III, CEO of Kel Munoz Architects. But here is Antonio Reynoso, a Warren supporter talking about why he supports that senator. Having real plans for making, for effectuating that change. Elizabeth Warren has a plan for that, and probably a plan for everything. Uh, and she also knows how she's going to pay for it. And that's extremely important, that once we have a plan, we show that we have uh, real options on how we're going to accomplish those plans. Um, and we're going to do that by taxing the one-tenth of one percent, uh, two cents, and in doing so can achieve um, these goals and, and these uh, initiatives that I think would really um, change the lives of many people in America <coughs> that are currently not benefiting from, from the Trump administration. Uh, another important thing is that there's no one, what we need to fight against is money. Money is the biggest problem that we have right now um, in, our, in our institutions. We're both uh, taking money from grassroots movements. That's extremely important when we talk about sustainable campaigns, taking out the interests 
um, from our campaign finance system and allowing for the people uh, to, to choose their candidate by raising money at, on a grassroots level. And no one knows more about regulating um, and reforming money than Elizabeth Warren, who was the founder of the CFPB um, and has uh, been the foremost expert when it comes to the regulation of big banks and uh, the credit card companies. Um, so I'm really excited to uh, support Elizabeth Warren, and it's also about time that we uh, elect a woman president um, in our nation. So LFG, thank you. So it's probably going to be repeated the entire way down the line, but I agree with what my two compatriots say right here about all of the things that we need to see um, change in America. Um, I support Pete Buttigieg because, um, you know, I'm glad that Antonio brought math. Um, I just think our math is better. Um, as you guys will probably know, um, every time a Democrat gets into uh, the highest office, um, suddenly uh, Republicans really don't want to spend any money on anything that does anything for people who aren't part of the 1%. Um, and then uh, the secondary Republican is in the highest office of the land, they uh, loosen up their purse strings. So we can already anticipate the fact that if any of us um, win this election, that we're going to come into a space that's pretty hostile to giving us money. Um, and so uh, we need better math. We need to go in there with something that says that um, not only do we have ways, um, to lift people who are marginalized, who are living on the fringes, who haven't been supported, or whose voices haven't been listened to um, traditionally. But we also need a way to pay for it. And I think that, you know, Pete comes out on top in terms of math um, across numerous studies. Um, and I think it's time, you know, as a millennial, I think it's time to elect somebody who's going to actually inherit the earth that we're living in that has all these problems. Um, who better to, uh, uh, to, to bring my voice into the arena than uh, Pete? Also, he represents... Uh, who represents the actual forgotten people, people who aren't being listened to that are in the middle of the country, who cost us you know, elections time and time again. He also represents the tie that brought us um, the 2018 victories. You know, um, A lot of the, uh, the far left organizations that supported many of the down ballot candidates um, didn't get a lot done, and the moderate Democratic wing did. Um, you know, we got uh, some 40 seats um, by uh, using that strategy. Um, I also think that Pete provides the greatest sense of belonging across all, uh, you know, shadows of our, not just our economy, but also across all political stratas. Um, I did a petition period here in New York, so I was in the streets in the coldest month in January, you know, getting signatures all across the city, and you have no idea the number of uh, voter change forms that I gave out to independents and Republicans who wanted to vote in our closed primary and who wanted to support Pete Buttigieg. Um, so I just know that uh, it's going to be really important to take a lot of people with us and not to govern based on who we can exclude, but based on who we can bring with us. Thank you so much, everyone, for having me. And in addition to the primary being on April 28th, there's an early voting period that people must be aware of. Good it point. starts April 18th through the 26th. And another thing that people should be aware of is that New York may be later in the calendar, but it affords all of us an opportunity to get out into the states that are voting on March 3rd, March 10th, and through Super Tuesday to support whomever our candidate is. And I will say that whomever our candidate is, Senator Klobuchar and I'm sure all of the candidates on this stage will get behind that candidate because what is the most important thing that we do in November? Get rid of Donald Trump. And close your eyes again and picture us on the stage as if this was the South Carolina debate last night. I know it may be hard to conceive of me as Senator Klobuchar, though I have known her for 20 years. 
Who is the one candidate on this stage who has won in purple, red, blue congressional districts in the Midwest where we must win? In Minnesota, in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, in Michigan. Who is it? It's a rhetorical question. You all know the answer because she said it repeatedly. It's Senator Amy Klobuchar, and she's won big. And what do we need to do? We need to win so big that we don't just win back the White House. We win. Democrats win up and down the ticket in New York and across this country. And that's why it's incumbent on all of us to work together to make that happen. Now, let me give you three reasons, another two reasons. The first is that she is the most electable. She's shown it. She has the receipts. The second reason is that on day one, on day one, she will be prepared to lead. And how do we know that? We know that because she is the most effective minority senator, according to a ton of metrics by a Vanderbilt study. She has passed over a hundred bills with Democratic and Republican support. Bills that range from election security to infrastructure, to school safety, to preventing human trafficking and sexual harassment, to school safety, to aviation security, to leading on the opioid epidemic. She will get things done. And third, this comes from my experience of knowing her all these years. We need to restore decency and integrity and empathy to the White House and to Washington. We need a leader who will lead with heart and who will fight for us, but who will do it with honesty, who will look us in the eye and tell us the truth. I've known Senator Klobuchar for 20 years. She's brilliant, she's thoughtful, she's caring, she's relatable, she's hilarious. <laughs> and she will fight for us and she will do it empathetically and decently. Those are the reasons why I support Senator Klobuchar. I just want to welcome listeners who may be coming to the show late because of a technical glitch. You're listening to Max and Murphy here on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're doing a special 90-minute edition of the show featuring local supporters slash surrogates slash fans of the six major Democratic candidates for president talking about why they like those candidates and what they offer to voters in New York City. And I'll just mention, since we've had a couple messages already about electoral participation in addition to the question of the New York State presidential primary on April 28th. Obviously, there also is a June 23rd primary for congressional and state legislative offices. So a lot of, and if you're in certain districts, there's a uh, March 24th special election for city council. So plenty of chances to participate in our democracy this spring. And Queen, um, Queensboro president. And that too. Mm -hmm. moving, uh, moving on uh, down the line to our Bloomberg rep, Chris, talk about why you support the former mayor. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I've known Mike for 20 years also, so I'm glad that we're, we're talking about that. Um, have been with him uh, since his first campaign for mayor. When he took office in 2001, the city was uh, on its knees, had a $4 billion deficit, uh, was recovering from 9-11, hundreds of dead firefighters, uh, dead police officers whose funerals Mike spent uh, his first many, many months going to. Uh, he knows how to rebuild uh, a city 
And when uh, Donald Trump is finally thrown out of office, we're going to need someone who can rebuild the federal government. You know, we're talking about the coronavirus not enough last night at that debate. But you want someone who knows how to deal with public health and who and who knows how to manage a crisis. Uh, And I think his 12 years of mayor uh, building 175,000 units of affordable housing. Uh, teacher test, uh, test scores way, way up. Crime way, way down. Teacher raise 43% for teacher raises. Um, as mayor, one of the most successful mayoralties in, in the history uh, of the city. Um, and I think you need that kind of executive experience when you go to Washington. He was a businessman before that, a self-made billionaire who uh, parked cars to pay his way through college and created this amazing machine that has now employed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Uh, and in his later years as a philanthropist, uh, starting mayors against illegal guns, fighting the NRA. The NRA put out an attack ad against him today because they don't want to fight him because they know he's going to take it to the NRA. Um, some of these folks have, have talked about their candidates. I agree with a lot of the underlying message, the imperative of beating Donald Trump, that anyone on this stage is going to be better than the president. Um, when we talk about those 40 House seats, many of those people have endorsed Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg spent lots and lots of money trying to and successfully flipping many of those those House seats. So I think um, when we talk about how important this election is and you want someone who's going to have the resources to take on the president, the president, Donald Trump, is going to have starting either June or May or whenever whenever this primary finally ends, the president's going to have half a billion dollars or more, not counting what the RNC has, to attack the Democrat relentlessly and to get their message out, while the Democrat will have literally zero dollars. Uh, or, or in the single digits, millions of dollars. Now, I don't doubt that some of the folks on the stage, um, especially uh, folks who have done a grassroots effort, will be able to activate low dollar uh, and raise the resources that they need. I just think that Mike Bloomberg will be able to shock and awe this country. We'll spend money on every House seat. We'll fight like hell for the House. We'll fight like hell for the Senate. And he'll throw Donald Trump out of office. The reason that Donald Trump is afraid of Mike Bloomberg is because Mike can beat the Donald. And at the end of the day, like, really, that's all that matters. He'll run this country effectively. He'll run this country well. And he'll throw the president out of office. Thank you, Chris. Henry. And Henry, finally your turn. Tell us about uh, Joe Biden and why you are supporting the former vice president. Well, thanks to everybody for listening. I'm not going to give a campaign speech, but I think it's important for me to tell you a story about why I thought I should be here this evening. Like most of you, I woke up in November of... 2016, shocked and sad that this country had elected Donald Trump to be the president of the United States. For me, it came after almost nine years of working with President Obama and Vice President Biden on every issue from immigration reform to gay marriage um, to building a political infrastructure that was sustainable and could at least go toe-to-toe with the Republican Party. And um, I may be the only person on this podium this evening that has actually worked with every single candidate, with the exception of Mayor Bloomberg. And I feel like anybody that is being represented this evening will, of course, do a better job than President Trump, particularly when we were talking in 2016 about the lack of talent in the Democratic Party, the lack of a bench. The difference is is that I believe, because I've worked within 
this system that on day one you have to have a person who's ready to be the commander-in-chief. And I'm tired of closing my eyes and dreaming and imagining. I'm, time is coming to a close for so many of us for our earth. You know, We're living in a, in a moment in our country's history when cultural understanding is incredibly important, and yet we're shutting ourselves off from the rest of the world. So my, um, while I admire and have donated and have been involved as an advisor to many campaigns over the course of the last two years, I made a decision that I needed to be here with Vice President Biden. Because I need to elect somebody, help elect somebody that I think can help me save the earth, somebody who's prepared to pass comprehensive immigration reform, somebody who fought side by side so that I could marry my husband, who in fact married my husband and I. Promises are one thing and actions are another. And it takes more than dreaming and imagination to put this country in the right place. And the world, quite honestly, wants us to restore their confidence in us, and I believe, while I could vote for any single person who will be the nominee of the Democratic Party, I think the best person for this job is Joe Biden. So, Henry, you uh, got the short stick on the first question of being the last person. Now you're going to be on the spot for the next question, okay. and we'll go back in the direction. So many important things came out in those answers about the, the factors people are going to weigh when they go into the, the voting booth or when they cast their ballot. Uh, electability, ideology, uh, the question of background. But let's focus on issues, particular issues. When you think of your candidate, beginning with Henry moving down, relative to the compared against the Democratic field, and then when you think of your candidate in the possible matchup in November against President Trump, what is the one issue that you think separates your person from the other Democrats? And what is the one issue that you think really, truly separates him or her from President Trump? I think the American people want opportunity. You know, I spent six and a half years of my life traveling around this country, talking to people, talking primarily to minority uh, citizens of this country about the lack of opportunity. You can talk about how great the economy is doing, but if it's only doing well for the top 2%, then people aren't motivated to vote. And so it displays itself in a series of issues. It displays itself in their willingness to vote. But when it comes down, and somebody mentioned it earlier today, to health care, if I have to think about whether I'm going to put food on the table or buy a prescription for my child, I guarantee I know what I'm going to do that evening. And so um, I think what sets him apart from the field is the ability, the experience of having worked um, in the Congress, somebody who has sat for eight years in an administration who's passed significant legislation to move this country forward. Like I said, I, I, for myself, I feel like um, our time is coming to a close to enact those changes. And I think that in terms of electability, what we have a tendency to lose sight of in the primary is that there is a, a significant percentage of the population who do not identify themselves either as Democrats or as Republicans, who identify themselves as independent, who are looking for that same kind of characteristic. Who can move my country forward? And I think that's Joe Biden. See, I think Mike Bloomberg gets those votes. I think he's going to get the independent folks because he's been someone who's not uh, has not been married to a party. And I think that uh, there are lots and lots of independents that we're going to need to win this race who we did not have in 2016. They either stayed home uh, or they voted for Donald Trump. 
Uh, and I think you're going to need someone to tap into that who is just like looking to get the they don't want to turn on the TV every day and feel embarrassed or ashamed that their president is making a fool of himself uh, on the one issue question, though. Um, I, I mentioned the coronavirus a second ago, and I would just touch on this for a second. Um, you have Donald Trump, who's who's basically denying that the virus is a real thing and trying to stifle dissent at the CDC, having gotten rid of most of the people at the CDC while he appoints someone to run his personnel office, who is his personal aide, to clean house in the federal government of anyone who is not a Trump supporter uh, or, or Trump person uh, in any real position. And on the other hand, while, by the way, while we have this really scary virus uh, that has a, a huge mortality rate and looks like it's coming uh, to our shores, there's already uh, 50 people in the country that, that have it. They have no real plan for it, and the president is telling them uh, to, to, to dumb it down. That's, that's their answer to this. And on the other hand, you have Mike Bloomberg, who started a school of public health, who his entire tenure as mayor uh, had uh, went after smoking, uh, went after trans fats, uh, extended life expectancy by three years from his 2002 when he was 2001 when he was elected to when he left in 2013, uh, and made public health even when it was by the way people like me uh, in 2002 and three would say no 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 we can't ban smoking we need we need votes in Bay Ridge we need votes in Maspeth we don't want to I used to go to parades with him and have folks throw tomatoes at him in his first year because it was deeply unpopular that first year to ban smoking. But Mike doesn't think politics. Mike wanted to do it because it was the right thing to do. And he knew that if he did the right thing, he would be rewarded for it in the end. It's the same reason. It's the same reason he raised taxes in 2002 after 9-11. Also deeply unpopular, but the right thing to do. You want a politician that is going to make really tough choices and know that people will reward them. Too often these days, we're used to a Washington, D.C. politician that is just living press release to press release. And it's time for a different kind of politician. And, and that's why I'm proud of, of Mike. So, right, for, the, for answers from this point on, we're going to give extra points for brevity because we're, we're running out of time. Was that long? Jeez. It was thoughtful. Um, so the issues Got that it. you think Senator Your questions were, first, what distinguishes Senator Klobuchar from the other candidates? And second, what distinguishes Senator Klobuchar from Donald Trump? Issues. On an issue. On an issue. First, we don't need to imagine or think about what distinguishes Senator Klobuchar from the other candidates. What distinguishes her from the other candidates is that she has won she has won with independents, with moderate Republicans, and with Democrats. None of the other candidates have won like she has. Uh, and what distinguishes her from Donald Trump? Whereas Donald Trump looks out for himself and his family, Senator Klobuchar looks out for the people of this country. She is a lifelong public servant in local government, and in the federal government. And as I said before, she has empathy, she has decency, and she cares about the people of this country, whereas Donald Trump just cares about himself. All right. So I guess, uh, so what distinguishes Pete from the rest of uh, the field and what distinguishes him from Trump? Yes. Um, so what distinguishes him from the rest of the field? So I appreciate that, um, you know, mayoral experience is represented on this stage um, in uh, Bloomberg. Um, I just think that uh, that sort of uh, local experience um, shouldn't be uh, just uh, concentrated around the coastal elites, as they like to call them. Um, I think that uh, experience in the middle of the country matters, um, which uh, brings up a difference between Pete and uh, Senator Klobuchar. Um, I think... 
that executive experience matters. Um, when you're the mayor, as the Bloomberg team will tell you, you're managing hundreds of people. When you're a senator, you haven't managed any more than 50 people at any given time, and that's in the largest senatorial offices. So I think that's a huge distinction um, between those two um, here. The fact of the matter is Bloomberg took care of a city that was already a really awesome city. Um, South Bend, you take the pedigreed son of a South Bend, um, of a small and dying city, um, those kids don't come back. You know, those kids go to Harvard, they go to Oxford, and then they don't return. And he did, eschewing what probably could have been a pretty large personal fortune to come back and do what he could to save his dying city. And you know what? He did it. Um, you know, uh, Mayor Pete's mayoralty uh, resulted in $400 million in investments. Um, drastically decreased rates of poverty and unemployment. Um, he took a super fun site. Y'all know about the Gowanus Canal. He took a super fun site, and it's a fun site now. So um, he does things that I think other people aren't giving him credit for, um, and to see him do those on the national stage would be incredible. How he's different from Trump, I mean, it's really super obvious. Uh, you know, a gay, left-handed millennial from the middle of the country who didn't come from a fortune, who also actually has um, experience not bankrupting things, would be an excellent candidate to go up against Trump in my experience. So, um, I don't know if we've noticed, but when we come, when it comes to issues, none of the surrogates so far have talked about an actual issue. And that's part of the game of being uh, a woman running for president uh, in the sexist world that we live in. It's a double standard. She has to do twice the amount of work to get half of the attention. When we talk about plans, I could literally shoot out of the dartboard to talk about the issues in which Elizabeth Warren has been, uh, that is going to effectively be different than Donald Trump. I'm going to take uh, affordable child care. As, as one of the, the things that could really differ between her um, and Trump, but also affect uh, meaningful change to a large uh, population of Americans. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was uh, a single mother, um, and she raised the child and understood the difficulties of putting your child in uh, daycare and understand that childcare was extremely important in, in her ability to continue to work um, and be a valuable citizen, I guess, of of this country. That's the type of uh, connection and story that she has that's going to allow her to push uh, issues um, that will affect change again in this, in, in this country. Um, and then what it sets her apart from uh, Donald Trump, uh, I, I would, I'm going to move away from the issues given that we all know that no one else here has answered that issue, but um, she did a great job at being able to eviscerate a billionaire on stage. Um, when we were debating at the Nevada debates. And I think that's extremely important. We need somebody that's willing to stand up um, to people like Trump and show them that their way of doing business is not the way that the American people want. And I'm looking forward to being able to see somebody that's a fighter like Elizabeth Warren on stage taking on someone like Donald Trump. Please. Um, so what distinguishes Bernie Sanders from everybody? He has never and will never take money from millionaires and billionaires and super PACs. Um, but that is not that interesting. What's interesting is that he has, from the beginning of his political career, been saying the same thing. Government should be focused on a mandate to improve the lives of people who have been left at the margins of our democracy. And some people can afford not to dream, but people in my community who are constantly under threat of deportation, people in my community who are constantly having to beg to make sure that they get paid what they were promised, have to be able to imagine that a new world is possible and that they belong in that world. So uh, Bernie Sanders has been as steadfast, as steadfast um, 
kind of visionary in imagining that we can have a country where everyone has healthcare, and it has been actually he has been the person that has brought the entire field to this position. The fact that healthcare is a dominant issue in this election and that everyone is trying to distinguish or match Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All proposal should tell you the uh, contributions that he has made to actually trying to shape the debate inside the Democratic Party so that it's a debate, so that people can see themselves in the, in the party and in its vision. Um, I think it's important to know um, that uh, Bernie has been uh, also uh, leading not just on healthcare, but on issues that matter to working class people of color. He was the first one to say that he would put a moratorium on deportations. I can tell you as an immigrant that I have never been, I have never had one day in this country where I know that my people will not be picked up on their way to the corner bodega or on the way to school or, or the job. Um, the threat of deportation has been hanging over our heads every single day. To say that you will put a moratorium on deportations is to allow my people to breathe, and that matters. And he was the first one, and the field, now Biden, a few days ago, decided that, oh, he too maybe should put a moratorium on deportations. Um, even though he was, you know, the vice president for many years and did not think that that should be a priority of his vice presidency. Um, there are people around, he, and there are candidates who actually have a horrible record on um, communities of color. Biden was the author of the 94 crime bill. We can thank him for mass incarceration in this country. Bloomberg has been the implementer in chief of, um, of stop and frisk, and uh, which is really just putting into practice the 94 crime bill. Um, and you know, he thinks that you can buy elections. I mean, he pretty much said so last night. I bought, actually, he then corrected himself, supported Democrats. Well, he didn't just support Democrats for Congress. He also supported Republicans like Peter King just on Long Island. May I just so say that we're, that we're, playing, we're playing to type here already, and it's it's not the way we should I, be doing it. I we should not worried. be attacking each other. Okay, so, no, so, no, no, no. I, think, I think that so the, let's, the let's question was, let's take we a, can stay positive. Let's take no, a quick pause. We can. Uh, Ana Maria just name-checked a couple of candidates, mm -hmm. so we're going to give the representatives for those candidates, uh, Henry for Vice President Biden and Chris for Mayor Bloomberg, a quick chance, a quick chance to, to respond, but we're not going to delve into what we saw on the stage too much last night, which was a lot of sniping and crosstalk and such. But uh, go ahead, Henry, you first. So I'll, tell you you another, I'll tell you another story. I was actually in a room with President Obama and Vice President Biden, and I wish that they had passed comprehensive immigration reform at the beginning of their presidency and vice presidency when we had the Senate and the Congress at the same time. But when we got to the issue, right, and we didn't have the Senate, we didn't have the Congress, which is one of the dangerous things about this election cycle, right, there was an, a lot we could do. So we had these conversations. I we put into place the DREAM Act. I started a scholarship fund for the Dream for Dreamers called the Dream.us because I didn't feel like working within government I could do anything anymore. But the truth of the matter is that at a point where my community, I'm from South Texas, I lived on the border for most of my life, right? Where our community could not 
um, find its way forward. I'm going to tell you that both the president and the vice president did what they could at the time. And I'm very proud of Vice President Biden for imposing a moratorium, for saying for the first 100 days of his presidency, no one else will be deported. And I'm very proud of him for saying that on the first day of his presidency, he will send to the Congress a, a measure to impose comprehensive immigration reform, which is really what we all need to be doing, but you cannot do it without the Republican members. Chris, Chris quick thought. Uh, yes, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of differences between Mike Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders. Um, one of them is that when Mike knows he made a mistake, he can stand up and apologize for the mistake, uh, which he has now deeply apologized for stop and frisk, unlike Bernie Sanders, who opposed comprehensive immigration reform. Who, um, who supported a bill uh, to give money to vigilantes at the border has a terrible record historically on immigration. This, like, new to the immigration in the last two years uh, is and, and, and portraying him as a champion of immigration is like um, it, it, it ignores a big part of his record. One of the many problems of being in Washington for, like, 75 years is that you have a deep record of votes, and his votes on immigration and guns, by the way, is terrible. Just we have to own that. Because okay. Donald Trump is going to own it. We're, and so, like, Mike can own his mistakes. I haven't heard um, Senator Sanders own any of that. I hear a lot of, like, We're, you know. we're going to have an opportunity for a little more response as people's turns come back around. But let's, like I said, not get into too much back and forth on that. Um, and we definitely don't want to relitigate, like I said, some of the debate points from last night. Many people saw that, I'm sure, who are listening. And we'll get a chance at, at future debates. Um we're talking with uh, six supporters of six Democratic presidential candidates here on WBAI. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here in the room. Um, before we get into maybe a longer uh, question and answer in the next round, I just want to give each person a chance to either name one specific accomplishment of your candidate that hasn't been named yet or one very specific policy proposal from your candidate that you want to make sure that you shout out there to our listeners, to voters in New York and whoever else might be listening uh, on the live stream or in the future when this is posted, something that either your candidate has accomplished that you want to make sure people know about or is proposing. Just one thing, brief answers to mix it up a little bit, and then we'll get into some longer discussion. Um, why don't we start more in the middle this time with, with Aaron and then come back towards, uh, towards us here? Senator Klobuchar has been a leader on funding infrastructure, which is critical to New York State all across the country. She announced her candidacy in a blizzard in Minnesota next to a bridge that had previously collapsed and killed several, I think, in excess of 20 people. It's her passion, and she's worked across the aisle to to pass legislation, unlike so many of the other candidates up here. She's actually worked across the aisle and gotten things done as opposed to just proposing pipe dreams. Secondly, uh, uh, she... No, that's her, a good one. You got one. That's good. You Tristan, said a proposal too? No, okay. no, just one or the other. One or the other. Yeah, or the we're other. moving a little quicker this round yes. so we, we get more stuff out there. Well, I'm going to throw out um, proposal Douglas plan, but I think one really important thing is that if you guys are not um, part of uh, the Bernie Sanders coalition, we're the only person who's beat him. Um, so if you're looking for somebody to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with that uh, coalition... 
you're looking right at the right candidate. Um, so okay. um, after coming from no re name recognition and no money, I think that's pretty impressive for us to be in the top tier at all. Okay. Councilmember Reynoso? Uh, it's uh, fighting corruption. Uh, Elizabeth Sanders is talking. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, that was <laughs> a Freudian slip there. We have a ticket uh, for we, yeah. we might be working on that. But Elizabeth Warren is talking about corruption, taking our big money interest so that we don't need to have a billionaire be our savior, that we can actually have a Democratic Party of the people. And it's something that I think we should be highlighting more. Ana Maria? There are two ideas that are uh, propelling Bernie Sanders' coalition and the movement that he has built. Um, and it's the idea that everyone should have health care in this country, so health care as a human right. And the idea that people should be able to go to college without ending up with massive debt, those two things are the things that are most uh, important to all the folks that I've talked to in New Hampshire and Nevada and in many other places. I would just like to point out that Literally every candidate on this stage believes those two things. And I think it's a false, like a little bit disingenuous to say that Bernie Sanders is the only person who believes those two no, things. No, I think we those are the ideas that he put on the table get. and people have matched. Okay, let's move down to Henry about uh, Vice President Biden. Something you want to highlight about an accomplishment or a proposal? Well, I always want to talk about his behind-the-scenes role in bringing marriage equality forward. But, you know, being a New Yorker, I'd have to say... Um, his recently unveiled proposal for housing. I mean, we have a housing crisis. It gets magnified if you're brown or you're black. It gets magnified if you're transgender or you're gay. And I think that it, living in this city, we need to recognize that we need to have a fair housing um, policy that helps create access so that people get off the street and that a woman who has to take care of her kids has a place to call home. And Chris, something for Mayor When Mike was mayor, he created uh, My Brother's Keeper to, to have more African-American men especially get job training and placement. He's just proposed the Greenwood Initiative uh, to try uh, to make sure that um, uh, people of color own businesses, uh, 100,000 new small businesses, um, create 1 million new black homeowners uh, is, is really, really vital to making sure that we are a more equal country and also a more economically um, stable country as well. Thank you. That was a, a great round of, of quick points and all, all important. I just want to mention to folks listening that if you want to send a question in, if you didn't hear at the top, uh, tweet us at TweetBenMax or Jared Murphy. And if anyone here in the room has a question, we're going to start moving to you if we can. If we have time, if you want to come up toward the front, uh, we'll try to stack people up and get quick questions in. I wanted to ask, we're talking about New York State, primary April 28th. Um, I guess this is not so much an argument for your candidate, but more political prognostication. Is New York State going to matter in this race? Yes. Chris, start with you. Yeah, and I'm really excited <laughs> to see that the last poll has Mike uh, winning in New York City and, and right off the lead uh, in the state. He's also winning among uh, African-American folks in the city, which I think is great. <laughs> We're really proud last night to get former Mayor David Dinkins' endorsement, uh, as well as uh, Gregory Meeks, Congressman uh, Max Rose, Congressman. But, but yes, to answer, that was a cheap way to get in some some cred on those folks. But to answer yeah. your question, I think New York is going to matter. I think you're going to see a scenario where Bernie Sanders plus X are going to come down the pike. I'm confident Mike is going to be um, in that mix. And when we get to states like New York, that's a real opportunity to to, uh, to have a contrast. Do folks think it's going to be a two-person race by then, or are we still going to have six folks on the stage here when we do this again? I know it's going to be at least two. There are going to be more folks. And look, it's only a matter of time before people start paying attention to Bloomberg's real record. Um, and anyone here standing talking about social um, and racial equity um, and talking about the Brothers Keeper Initiative, the 750,000 people that went to jail because of stop and frisk, uh, Mayor Bloomberg um, suing uh, the city council 
uh, because of the uh, rights, uh, the um, community, the CB, I'm sorry, the CSA, Community Safety Act. Community yeah. Safety Act. Mm-hmm. Um, he sued the city of New York and he lost. And it was only until he left office that we had to uh, go against that suit to stop the suit uh, where Mayor, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio stopped it. So it's only a matter of time before a lot of people's records on the stage um, start getting more scrutinized and people will realize who the, the real folks are. And maybe there'll be um, more than two. But one thing I do know is that another billionaire is not the way to go. I think um, it's also important to note that your radio station and this State and this election isn't just about the big cities. It's about the rural areas and the North Country and upstate New York and bridging the rural-urban divide and providing resources to upstate New York, including for medical facilities and housing and schooling and training in community colleges. Those are the areas of this state and this country that are sometimes forgotten. Senator Klobuchar doesn't forget those areas because that's where she's from in the Midwest. That's where she's focusing a lot of her time, and that's where we expect she'll be in the race to win. Interesting interesting point. Other thoughts on whether New York will matter when April New York is going to matter. I mean, I think that we hope that every single state, every single part of this country matters. This is the most important election of our lifetime. We have to make sure that people uh, are allowed to tap into their power. Uh, people wonder whether Bernie Sanders is electable. First, we can look at the results in Nevada. He got close to 50% of the caucus um, in Nevada. But also in 2016, he won every county but one in Wisconsin. He won Michigan. He won uh, Minnesota. He won Wyoming, Rhode Island, in Indiana, Nebraska, Maine. I mean, we can. We so want to. Those are Democratic we, primaries, right? Just to also. Him I'm, I'm talking about the primaries. I'm talking about the. Well, he was sufficient. competing only in the primaries. What about right. the down ballot um, races? But, he's going but, uh, but what I'm saying is that we can speculate in all in many ways about what's going to happen with each state. I think our role is actually to make sure that people's stories are told. That this is, because this election is so important, we actually need to make sure that there are stories about the pulse of the country. And the pulse is not the names of the candidates, it's people's stories. And that's why it is, that's why actually I think Bernie resonates so much. Because people see in him someone who's committed to actually talking about the issues that matter most. And believe me, I was so surprised when I went to Latino doors and people said healthcare. That's what they want. People want to be able to go to the doctor. We're not going to be able to achieve any of those goals if we lose every down-ballot race. And none of the far-left candidates want to Let's stick with the question at hand, though. Henry, you wanted to jump in on whether New York, uh, whether the results in New York are really going to matter in the results of this primary. It absolutely will matter. This is a completely different nominating process in this cycle than it has ever been before. So when I was an officer of the DNC, we enacted the findings of the Unity Commission, which means that superdelegates, the 500 or so people who have traditionally been allowed to vote on the first ballot, will not be allowed to vote on the first ballot. So the nominee will be elected by getting to 1,991 delegates. By the time we get to New York State, it's entirely possible that New York becomes um, incredibly important to making sure that whoever emerges from your primary, from this primary, actually has the votes to become the nominee. So this is this state is important in a way that it never has been before. Ana Maria, you don't think that your candidate, Bernie Sanders, will lock up the, the primary earlier than New York? I'm not an expert on the delegate mm-hmm. count. I can tell you that... Um, People 
everywhere I go, trust that someone who doesn't take money from billionaires and who talks about the issues that matter most to people should be the one that governs this country. Well, let's and talk about that's, money. That's why I hope, my hope is that we have a primary process that allows everyone in this country to weigh in. Okay. Did you want to jump yeah, in? Yeah. Um, so uh, whether or not people make it to uh, New York, um, it obviously depends on the voters. Um, if, you know, a delegate majority becomes obvious and that those all out the window, but um, with the entrance of a multi-billionaire on the arena, we know that we're playing a game of attrition and scorched earth at this point from a monetary standpoint, um, and it's creating a serious thumb on the scale that we're going to have to address at some point. So people keep talking about not taking money from billionaires. Um, I think that people think that uh, taking $2,800 from somebody who has a lot of money is enough to buy your you know, heart and your mind. Um, I'm broke, and that's not enough to buy my heart or my mind. Um, and I would encourage, if you're the type of person who has the ability to max out for your candidate, that you do. Um, the max is $2,800 for an individual donation. Um, feel free to go to PeteForAmerica.com if that's your guy. And um, donate $5 if you're not a person of means, like myself. Um, and if you are one, uh, feel free to donate more. Um, but we have to play the game with the soldiers we have. Citizens United is a reality. We can't go up against Donald Trump with half a million dollars in the coffers and be eschewing money from anybody who will give it to us. Now, the people who are giving us money are people who support what we're saying, obviously. Otherwise, why would they be writing these checks? So I'm really tired of this weird uh, purity game that we've been playing about not getting these papers like like they're, they're writing get the money checks. so we can I, win this race they're writing these so checks they're writing these checks because they believe that you're going to look out for their interests specifically mm -hmm. and that Why is would extremely they write in the first place if they didn't like what you said they 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 hedge their bets like Aaron there's a lot of people playing both sides like Bloomberg used to do mm -hmm. and giving money to both Republicans Bloomberg and to, gave a lot of and to but, but my point the point that I'm trying to say is that dismissing this idea that we can't have grassroots uh movements when it comes to the fundraising really is a, a big problem when we're talking about it in the Democratic Party. Well, I think we should have, I think we should have grassroots fundraising. Both are but I right. also think, so you, you know, I... As a person who spent six and a half years of his life in finance, you know, I'm very proud of the people who are willing to give $5, $10, $500, $2,800 to elect the candidates that they believe in. I have met thousands and thousands of people across the country who have the ability to write a $2,800 investment in candidates who are not trying to buy somebody's vote. They just want what you should not forget, and that's a misnomer, so what you should not forget, that no matter who the nominee is in this race, they will be up against billions of dollars of dark money that the Republican Party that is untraceable will use is already using to shape not only the primary election but the general election. And when push comes to shove, I believe that we need to have all of the investments of every person who is willing to write any amount of money to make sure that Donald Trump is no longer the president of and the United States. And let's talk about who this period gave. Hold on, hold on, hold on. From anyone is Mike Bloomberg, who, as mayor, as, as, as mayor, consistently did not listen to folks who wanted to influence him. He did what he believed is right. And the only thing I'd say is that, like, Elizabeth Warren uh, may practice one thing while her ginormous super PAC full of people who have donated hundreds of thousands of dollars 
uh, are going out and buying ads on her behalf. So the sanctimoniousness by which we give lectures on one hand, but on the other hand, aren't doing those things. Believe me, Donald Trump is going to have hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you want to beat him, you're going to need every dollar you can. I saw yesterday that Bernie Sanders said even if he wins, he doesn't want Mike Bloomberg's billion dollars helping House candidates around the country. See about that. Because can I, said Aaron, it's Aaron shot now. Let's give Aaron a, a chance to jump in. Go ahead. Thanks. Can I just pivot away from who's getting to whom to a much more important issue, which is how are we going to pay for all of the proposals that we are making in this race? I frankly don't care who's getting five, a hundred, twenty-eight hundred dollars. Who's a billionaire? What I care about is when we are proposing huge investments in health care and fighting opioid addiction and in infrastructure and school safety and election security, how are we going to pay for it? Okay? That's what's important. Aaron, you cannot, you're a very let, strong, let you're a very strong representative. Candidate. You're channeling her. Go ahead. Continue. So <laughs> I'm doing my best. It's been 20 years. So listen, Amy Klobuchar as Ben just said, she tells you exactly how she's going to pay for every proposal she makes. She'll look you in the eye and she'll say, this is how I'm going to pay for my plan to close the boyfriend loophole that enables boyfriends of women who are abused to get AK-47. She'll tell you how she's going to do that and how she's going to pass it. So that's what we need to be focusing on, not huge proposals that are pipe dreams that can't be passed. So I just want to say the only uh, content and issues that are debated are issues that are either coming from Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. The, everyone else's plans, you don't need to worry about money because you don't have any ideas. And that's the problem. The problem is that there is a vision being set forth by the progressive arm of the Democratic Party. And they are thinking about creative ways to be able to pay for that. If you have no plans, it's very easy not to have to pay for it. And the point, another point is, no matter how much money Bloomberg has, he's going to eventually have to affect change for people of color. And we saw what he did in New York. And if he magnifies that and does it for our country, we're going to be in big trouble. So proud to okay. have the endorsements of mayors, black mayors from around the country, including Mayor Dinkins and lots and lots of other black mayors. And, and really proud to have their, their support. Federal law now requires me to say, because it's 6 p.m., that you're listening to WBAI New York at 9.5 FM. This is Max and Murphy. And we are going to take a quick inhale of breath and relax. And I'm going to ask everyone what might be a very critical question, depending on when what the situation is like when New York votes, which is we know you support your candidate. We know you are passionate about it. That's been obvious in the past few minutes. If... And I want you to treat this honestly. If that candidate isn't there when New York votes, who do you vote for? Because I think a lot of people are going to have to start making those choices. And I'd be curious, who is your number? Who is your number two? I mean, Elizabeth Warren, okay. obviously. But can I just say, I think that people who think that we should not examine the role of money in our democracy are not serious about saving our democracy. We have been under 40 years of a very serious plan to erode the institutions of our democracy. And Trump is trying to convince people that democracy cannot work for them. He's inviting them to be afraid of one another, to stay home. He's eroding people's ability to participate in elections. And if we do not 
actually say that democracy has to belong to the people who do not have money, we cannot save it. So, yes, uh, I invite anyone who has $2,800 to donate to any of the candidates that they like, but we would have had health care for all a long time ago. If that was not the case, we would have been able to offer drugs and um, and like really hold accountable the pharmaceutical companies a long time ago. If that was not the case, we would have been able to take guns out of people's hands a long time ago. We have to make sure that people are not um, having to deliver for those who funded their campaigns. Uh, so short it's answer is not, Elizabeth Warren, but, right? But yes. <laughs> okay. Also, but I. But I'm yes. sorry, I did want to jump in on the last. I wanted to say. So we'll give, her, give but, her a chance. Um, I think we need to move on one because one, you, yeah. the point's been made. Uh, yeah, so Council member, you're I believe two, that please. Elizabeth Warren is the unity candidate. She's the one that can bring the left and the right together. But, and if she's not but around, yes. Worst case scenario, <laughs> absolutely worst case scenario. Uh, Bernie Sanders would be where I would go. All right, Tristan. Um, so. Uh, the presidency doesn't operate in a vacuum, so we need to have somebody who can actually Im positively impact down ballot races. Um, and I think uh, studies show that Pete's pretty much that guy. Um, but if I honestly, I'm I know the platforms, and, and I've been doing this for you know since April at this point, um, pretty aggressively. So I know the platforms in and out. Um, whoever gets through on this side, I will select at that point from the candidates that remain. I ha I do think that Pete will get through. Um, so I'm honestly not going to pick. Uh, candidate That's because no blue no blue no honestly <laughs> honestly blue no matter who um, all of the candidates here are really just aggressive fighters for change and I respect the heck out of all of them honestly it's just a, a micro preference obviously for um for Pete um, but anybody who gets through is going to be brilliant and has my boots on the ground Aaron as I said at the top whoever is left standing Senator Klobuchar will support but that said <laughs> since we are not just supposed to channel our candidates, but to give our personal, honest opinions. I value the experience and leadership that Vice President Biden has shown throughout his extraordinary career in public service. And if he is the nominee and if he's the president, I know he'll make us proud. Um, you know, I'm not I'm obviously not I'm not a surrogate. I'm here. So I'm only speaking personally um, uh, and um, had donated to Pete before uh, the election as a as a gay guy who um, has two great kids and a husband um, am inspired by uh, his run. But, you know, honestly, I think I've also donated to uh, Warren and Biden also uh, as well. I don't know. You know what? But I love I like, you know, I think they'd all be great and Amy would be great um, and, and Bernie would be head and shoulders above uh, Donald Trump. And I don't know. I, I don't know who'll be here. You know, I, 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 uh, I, like I said, I woke up in November and read all of the stories that the media put out there that we didn't have anybody who was prepared to be the next right. president of the United States. And, now and before you knew it, there was a stage filled with people of every age and every color and a gay man. And I thought, wow, look how incredible did it. This is, and I wanted to get to know all of them. My husband continues to want to get to know all of them. So any of them will be a better president than Donald Trump. What I would say, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead no, please, no. We, wait, I, thought you were, I thought you were passing <laughs> no, on the question. No, 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 no. But, <laughs> well, um, while, while we've got you on the mic, Henry, um, what are your thoughts on why the most recent Democratic vice president, Joe Biden, has not been performing stronger in the early going? Do you have a diagnosis of what that's been about? Do you have an assessment of... Um, you know, the campaign standing at this point because 
for a long time, it seems you know he was he was in a very strong position, and it looks like that has has certainly faltered a bit. Yeah. I, you know, part of um, first of all, it's very early. So earlier, I told the audience that it takes ni- one thousand nine hundred ninety-one delegates to become the nominee of the Democratic Party. And I think at this point, one candidate has about 50, one candidate has about 25, and one candidate has about 15. So I'm not really ready to declare anybody the loser because we're way too early in the process. I also am a person who doesn't believe that our nominating process should begin in Iowa and New Hampshire. I believe that our nominating process should begin in states that look like the rest of the country. So I think there's flaws in that. And when I was an officer of the DNC, I was very vocal about that. I think when you start the process like this and you have a media that is incredibly um, active to fill a 24-7 news cycle, that it's easy to, to, like we have a new front runner every week, it seems like. So I, for myself, I just want to wait and see where we get. It's incredibly early and, um, and I'm looking forward to see who will be the nominee. Let's get rid of caucuses too. So, so I actually wanted to open up a little bit of a conversation to to the folks on the panel here about the process because whether New York matters or not, you, many of you seem to think it it will and it might, but it usually doesn't. And are there thoughts among folks at the table? Anybody? Anybody? Actually, jump New York in? was incredibly important in the race between uh, yeah, it was Bernie last, and Hillary. La- last time it was. So yeah, I, caucuses it, suck. Well, I mean, we had we, we did have a great opportunity for a New York uh, debate, and and it was important in sort of um, finalizing well, if, if things. If Bernie but, had won that, if Bernie had won, you know, she kind of solidified it. It was it was kind of over but everybody, New York. right? I mean, it was a little, it was a bit inevitable at that point. But okay, it, it had more meaning than maybe we would have assumed. Considering and by ninety two, Bill Clinton, New York was hugely important. So, do folks on the panel have thoughts about changing the process? What are they? Are there certain suggestions that you? Personally, again, this is not on on behalf of of your uh, candidate's campaign, but thoughts about the process. So this is my uh, first experience having dealt with like Iowa and New Hampshire, in particular, like the whole like early voting, you know, super white swath. Um, and uh, it's interesting because I really thought, you know, as a woman of color and a young person, that like Iowa being the first to vote um, would make me feel really uh, ignored and underrepresented. But I realized something that as a New Yorker which is that no other state is going to allow us to do what Iowa allows us to do. People move into that state for six, you know, six to nine months leading up to the first primary. Um, they're in their living rooms, they're in their yards, they're you know, um, occupying their spare bedrooms. Um, and so I would be interested to see what a proposal for a new sort of electoral strategy would look like, but I would just like to give a shout out to the you know, citizens of Iowa for what they do because they take their commitment to democracy very seriously. I've spoken with a lot of them. Um, they're really, really wonderful and really, really committed. Yeah, I, 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 go ahead. I, I just think that I, I don't want to bash Iowa because I think if we all had the opportunity to be in Iowa, we would all be this invested. <laughs> so, it, yeah. so I want to like figure out a way that we could build democracy right. that everyone can get involved the way they do. Mm-hmm. But I represent more people than came out to vote in both of those states and in Nevada. Right. And like that's significant that I, as a council member, represent more people than came out to vote, I think, in all three of the early states combined. And, and we have to have that conversation in a more serious way. Absolutely. How can we invest in allowing for democracy 
to, to feed us or fuel us the way it does Iowa and these early early caucus states, um, while also respecting the fact that um, the United States of America is not 90% white. Right. So why don't we just admit that it's very early in the process and one candidate has 45 um, <coughs> delegates, one candidate has 25, and one candidate has 15, the other two have 18, 8 and 7, I think. And we're at the we're at the very beginning stages of this race, so I'm not willing to declare anybody. Yeah, but Super Tuesday is on March thirty. How about electing a president by the popular vote? If we did that, Hillary Clinton would be the president of the United States. So today. I think you, I think you could have yay to that. For abolishing the I think you could do like a, I've seen some really interesting proposals for regional primaries where you know you could do four four primaries and have the Northwest vote on one day and have the Northeast vote on one to the southeast vote. I also think you need to do early voting and you need, you know, I love the idea of caucuses, but um, people of color and people that have to work two jobs um, traditionally have a much harder time, as anyone would, standing in line for five hours to cast their vote. Have you ever been to a caucus? I absolutely have in Has 2008. Has in the audience ever been to a caucus? Anyone to it a is caucus? a new it's, people it's, on the panel. It's a nightmare. It's and, I'm a not even, nightmare. and I'm not even sure that they accurately represented you know, problems in Iowa, problems in Nevada, obviously. So I think you ha- it's too serious for that. As, and I'm sure it worked uh, 100 years ago, but I'm not sure it works now. I also think voting on a Tuesday. People have to work on Tuesday, right? Like voting on at least South Carolina and Nevada, you got more people uh, voting on Saturday. And you need to do early voting. And I think at some point in our lives, in the councilman, when the councilman runs for something, people are going to vote on their phone. Uh, it, we're not there yet. We've got a long way to go. There are now trials in uh, Seattle and other places where they allow um, people voting overseas, uh, 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 military voting overseas uh, to vote on their phones. I think we will get there uh, in our lifetime or, where people will be able to vote on their phones. So, I mean, clearly the rules of our democracy really matter. And right now we have rules that benefit states um, that are wider and smaller in population than the rest of the country and that should change. Like having witnessed the caucuses, they are beautiful. It's beautiful to, to, to like witness deliberative democracy. They're not very democratic. Not a lot of people get to participate. Uh, we should have primaries. We should have early voting. We should have automatic voter registration. We should have same-day registration. We should make voting as easy, as accessible, as welcoming as possible so that we can actually make sure that most people's voices, their struggles, and their aspirations are represented on the ballot. And we should make sure that 18-year-olds, when they turn 18, are automatically registered to vote, which enables minorities to actually be represented in this country. Totally. So now that we have picked apart uh, democracy, uh, <laughs> let's apply the same critical lens to the campaigns that you're all here representing. Uh, none of you are the candidates themselves. Some of you are not even official surrogates. Many of you might be folks who just work, walked in off the street for, for all I know. <laughs> when you think about the candidate that you're here representing, obviously they are impressive people, but they are imperfect vessels like the rest of us. If you were to have a moment with that person, what's something you would tell them to do now? Something to talk about they're not talking about, something to stop talking about, something they're doing they should stop, something they're not doing they should do. What's some advice you would give your person because none of them are perfect and all these campaigns have to get better before they beat Donald Trump? Well, I I actually had that moment with Senator Klobuchar and with my wife. So my wife gave birth to our daughter three weeks early in November and our daughter was in the NICU for several nights and uh, I was having
happened to be sitting with her watching our baby who was two days old, and I got a call on my cell phone with a Minnesota number, and I thought, well, this must be a spam, or who knows, maybe this is something really cool. So I handed the phone to my wife, and my wife answered the phone, and it was Senator Klobuchar. It wasn't a surrogate. It wasn't her assistant. It was Senator Klobuchar calling my wife to see how she was doing and to see how Rosie was doing because Senator Klobuchar had the exact same experience with her daughter who was in the NICU. But Senator Klobuchar got kicked out of the hospital before 24 hours had elapsed. And that's how she went into government service because she advocated for women to be able to stay in the hospital for at least two nights while their child is in the NICU. And that's why my wife was able to be with our baby in the NICU. And it was a beautiful conversation. I was just listening in. So uh, to, to turn to what I would say, I would just say that she should continue to try to relate to people's, the issues that confront people every day. And I know that she has challenges in minority communities, but she has related to minority communities and led in Minnesota, which has a large Hmong and Somali community. And if people just give her a chance and listen to her, they will see that she really is a genuine, authentic person who doesn't just give talking points, but lives the way she wants, lives, lives the true way that she wants to help people. And I, one more thing I want to add, which is really quick, sorry. Real uh, quick. Uh, so she has not just been a senator in D.C. She led the largest prosecutor's office in Minnesota, several hundred people for a large number of years. That's how I met her. So she has both local and federal service. Thanks. Others, jump in. Something so you want for, to tell your candidate or your campaign. Yeah, so if you're one of the 100,000 people that have probably met Elizabeth Warren because she took a selfie with you when you met her, right? Um, you could actually ask her this yourself. It's not a, a, a foregone conclusion or a dream. Uh, just go to an event, and she will give you a selfie, and you could ask her the question. What I would say is um, I'm a, brown, a poor brown boy from the south side of Williamsburg in Brooklyn, um, and I got the opportunity to be an elected official because of campaign finance reform. I got to compete against a party boss here in Brooklyn um, and won. Uh, and I did it with very, with, thank you, with very, with very little means, but because of campaign finance, I got to compete. When she talks about corruption and really trying to reform the way we do business at the federal level, campaign finance would be the way that we bring people like me into Congress. I can't raise a million dollars. I don't have that network, and I don't want to do it by going out and going to talk to billionaires or real estate mm -hmm. developers. So I would tell her to keep fighting on the, cor uh, the corruption angle and campaign finance reform. Can I say, so I actually brought my kids. Um, I got permission from my ex-wife to bring my kids to New Hampshire to knock on doors. And in New Hampshire, they do this thing where the, the night, the last weekend before election, the party holds a huge rally and all the candidates go to like give kind of their final pitches and I was so impressed with Amy Klobuchar I have to say I don't agree with her many things but I was kind of blown away by her ability to relate that story of um, being a woman um, in the healthcare system and you know the fact that it was a healthcare story that got her that moment is very telling um, so I you know I, I think that people my candidate does not have a lot of comfort talking about his own life. <laughs> and he has beautiful stories himself, which he relays in more like intimate settings about the ways in which growing up 
working class in Brooklyn, um, watching his parents struggle uh, because of money, really shaped his experience and his worldview and his and his sense of what is what his kind of role should be as an elected official. So I would encourage him to uh, to do that. I do think that um, at the end of the day, we have to. Every single candidate can and should continue to um, invite people to really think of democracy as the way that we take care of one another. It is the way that we take care of the people who are in our neighborhoods and in our families right now. It's actually the only way that we can take care of the great-grandchildren that we're not going to meet, but whose lives are going to be shaped by the decisions that of the people we elect today. So, Other, other folks jump in. So, you know, um, I think Mike would not love this, um, but uh, when he was mayor, he would meet these firefighters and cops and occasionally sanitation workers who were grievously injured or, or worse um, and he um, would stay in touch with them for years uh, and visit them in the hospital and call them periodically to check in and talk to their spouses uh, and talk to their kids uh, and try to um, make sure that their kids were taken care of and that their um, spouses were taken care of and I, I can and won't, I, won't, I won't go into some of the stuff and he would he would like you know have a heart attack because you can't read some of the stuff publicly so I shouldn't be talking about it but I would say he has um, you know this is a guy who parked cars to pay his way through college He's, he, he is not someone who like Donald Trump was born with a silver spoon and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, he's someone who grew up in a very middle class household as a boy scout uh, and believes it and, and believes it deeply and it does not always appear that way when he's on a debate stage, but I can tell you as someone who has been in the hospital during his mayoralty and he would come twice uh, to visit me or called me uh, in, in tough times as well, uh, that he's someone who uh, feels things deeply and does not often get credit for it because he doesn't always do a great job of showing it. We're going to wrap up with our panel on these last couple of folks talking about what they might uh, say to their candidate, their campaign. So uh, Tristan and then and then Henry will have the final word. So I guess two quick things. Um, I would tell Pete to um, stay in his lane. Um, I know it gets tempting with all this, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance and noise around you um, within such a large field um, to try to play other people's games. Um, there are a lot of people who are uh, more, you know, nuclear bomb style candidates um, and Pete's a sharpshooter and that's what's impressing people and he just sort of needs to double down and stick with it and I also think that he shouldn't be afraid to show his humanity I know with um, more of the intimate events that he does he you know talks about his own personal story a lot this book is great if you guys want to check it out um, but um, at times he can be really wooden um, Colin Jost is a great impersonation of him um, so uh, it's pretty funny but um, you know it's not super helpful unless you're an SNL writer um, so I think um, you know it might play to our advantage actually that um, he's got a massive cold right now and so you know he looked completely green and was coughing into the mic while doing an awesome job at last night's debate but had to cancel events in Florida because he has a cold and his friend died that might actually play to our advantage not to be callous because people need to feel that there's a human being who's going to take this office um, so I think he should lean into that a little bit more and I love him so much <laughs> thank you and Henry I mean, you can't be what you can't see, right? And we're living in a moment in our country's history where all of that liberty and justice and equality is under attack. So when I did see the vice president on Friday, I reminded him of a trip that he took here to New York with me um, at the beginning of the summer to Stonewall, which is the only national monument for LGBTQ people. And nobody has ever been there to visit it. And in that administration, we fought to make that a historic monument 
And in the beginning days of the Trump administration, they tried to take it away. And that's such an important symbol uh, of equality for so many people. So I told him I thought he should go to the border <laughs> between Texas and Mexico and see the encampments. That if he had an opportunity to, to be there, even if he wasn't the nominee as a former vice president of the United States, that would be so important uh, to my community. And that's what I have most recently told him I think is important. I probably would say one more thing. Quick, go ahead. Which is, um, you know, President Biden invite, oh good, President, <laughs> President Obama and Vice President Biden were the people who actually fought to create the first significant health care reform in decades. I mean, we have a tendency to forget how difficult it was to get that reform enacted. So I would also tell him to not abdicate the stage when it comes to saying that the continuation of that kind of reform is incredibly important to people who have not had access. It was a big effing deal. It was a big effing deal. And hard work. Careful, we're on the radio. Um, That was Henry Munoz for Vice President Biden. We've also had supporters for five of the other campaigns. Uh, Tristan Thomas Allen for Pete Buttigieg. Chris Coffey for Michael Bloomberg. Aaron Mendelson for Amy Klobuchar. Anna Maria Archila for Bernie Sanders and Antonio Reynoso for Elizabeth Warren. Thank you all for being here and sharing all these thoughts. Uh, We appreciate it. Jared and I are going to give a couple of closing thoughts, so don't move for two more minutes. Uh, But, Jared? Uh, A lot to respond to. I was very impressed by how passionate folks were. People came very prepared and had really powerful arguments. Uh, I think it was great to have a sober discussion um, with maybe some less yelling than the actual candidates themselves. This is how we should always do it. Yes. Uh, And I think just to remind folks, we're talking about April 28th, and I think it is probably true that it is likely we're still going to have some kind of a contest then. So this is no longer going to be, as we get closer and closer, something that's the problem of folks in other states. And obviously we'll be watching uh, this Saturday as South Carolina votes. Uh, we're watching you, South Carolina, here from, from New York. Um, and then Super Tuesday is coming up right after that Tuesday. So uh, unlike these last few weeks, there won't be a debate in between. I think we could all maybe use a break from, from those, even though tonight's discussion was a perfect, uh, perfect way to segue into South Carolina and then Super Tuesday. And obviously things can move very, very fast uh, after it seemed like they've been moving fairly slowly for a long time. Uh, from there. So, I, you know, one of the things I'm particularly watching is where this field stands after Super Tuesday, which, of course, is what a lot of folks are watching. But, you know, South Carolina is, of course, going to determine a lot of candidates' ability to keep going, raise money, uh, craft their, their narrative for where their campaign is heading, what kind of coalition they may or may not have. Um, so there's a lot of important dates coming up. Selfishly, of course, hoping that New York does really indeed matter in April. And as was pointed out earlier, uh, thanks again, there is early voting in New York. Um, as, we've, as we've covered a lot on this show, the, the, that development, and that will be at play for both the presidential primary as well as the June uh, congressional and state primaries that are coming up and the November general election. Well, thank you, state legislators, for giving us early voting. Thanks, everyone, including the staff and management of the incredible Commons Cafe, where they make a heck of a turkey sandwich, I'll say. <laughs> Program manager, Linda Perry Barr. Station manager, Bertolt Reimers. Engineer, Reggie Johnson. Our special sound director today, Baba Tunde Odesanye. Our intern, Annika Chowdhury. All of you for listening. And, of course, our amazing live audience. Yeah. Thank you for being here. 
Max and Murphy comes at you every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Follow us in between on WBAI.org, citylimits.org, and GothamGazette.com. Tune in next week at 5. Until then, have a great week in the greatest city in the world. What?